Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7.99 y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters excluyen de los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., this is the On the Hill podcast. Tom Fitzgerald along with you, and we welcome you in. Jason Rosian is the former bureau chief in Tehran for the Washington Post. He spent 544 days in an Iranian prison, falsely accused of being an American spy. Jason is now the author of a brand new book, Prisoner, the Story a 544 days in an Iranian prison, solitary confinement, a sham trial, high-stakes diplomacy, and extraordinary efforts it took to get him out. Jason Rosine, we welcome you on the Hill. Thanks so much for having me on, Tom. Uh, we have followed your story for years, and the book is fascinating because right from the get-go, it grabs you and puts us in your shoes of what that moment of arrest was like. An elevator door opens, you're at your home, and what happens? My wife and I are, are getting ready to leave uh, to go to a, a surprise birthday party for my mother-in-law. Uh, we are headed to the garage. Uh, we live in a high-rise building where uh, taxis will come and pick you up. Uh, and there's a gun pointed at my face as the door opens. And several uh, plainclothes security officers um, push their way into the elevator, force us back up into our apartment, begin to ransack the place, separate my wife and I. Uh, a couple dozen more security officers show up, and these are people that are, um, you know, they're, they're hiding their identities with surgical masks. Mm -hmm. Some of them have guns, and the others have video cameras. Uh, it was like uh, something out of cops, mm -hmm. right? I mean, as if it was a, uh, a drug bust or or mm -hmm. or the busting up of some other kind of organized crime ring it was the most intense and ex mm -hmm. insane scene of my life even before the arrest there were things going on there that was raising suspicions in you in your mind about what they were up to so you know i'd been working there with full state permission for about five years mm -hmm. uh, but in those last couple of days right before the arrest uh, there had been some strange activity on our internet uh, on our on our email and social media accounts, uh, it had been clear that we were hacked into. Our passwords were changed. My wife received a blackmail email, um, and so you know we were we were concerned, but we didn't expect or anticipate what was about to come. Mm -hmm. And um, you know the the fact that I was um, in prison for 544 days and 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 that it almost all fell through my release you know mm -hmm. at the end of the ordeal I, I could not have anticipated that in July of 2014 when they tell you that they're accusing you of being an American spy chief yeah. you thought at first what that they're, they're joking I didn't or, think that they or were joking but I couldn't take that accusation seriously in the moment because you know it's not true first i know it's not true second i know that i've been living in that country and my moves my work my communications my comings and goings from the country uh, mm -hmm. as the washington post bureau chief have been closely monitored for years 
they, they, know, they, they, they know, know who you were. They know exactly <laughs> who I was and who I wasn't. Yeah. Um, so that was the part that was that was very hard for me to uh, to accept. And you know, I, knowing uh, previous stories of people who'd been um, falsely imprisoned in Iran and other places, mm -hmm. um, you know, they they use these these accusations as a jumping off point. Uh, they're almost impossible to prove because there's no evidence, uh, but they keep pounding on it publicly and privately, uh, I suppose, in the hopes that if you say it enough times, it's going to become true. And that mm -hmm. becomes true when somebody who's in the position that I was in solitary confinement says, okay, okay, I'm mm -hmm. a spy, just let me go. And, you know, that wasn't something I was prepared to do. In the opening moments of the book, there's this uh, a story you relate that you're sitting there with handcuffs. Mm. And uh, you, you, you drew in your knowledge of cop shows yeah. <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> so the, the, one of the, the, um, the captors, one of the people who had seized us from our apartment, puts the cuffs on me, and he leans over and he says, uh, if they're too tight, I can loosen them. And I'm thinking to myself in the movies, you know, when they <laughs> say that, if you say it's too tight, they're going to tighten them even more. Right. Uh, and and I said, no, no, they're fine. And he said, no, no, really, if they're too tight, I'll loosen them. Uh, you know, this is not Guantanamo. Mm. Uh, and that for me was a real eyebrow raiser in that first moment. I was blindfolded. I was handcuffed. Uh, I was falsely uh, accused of all sorts of terrible uh, national security crimes. And even in that moment, my captors were drawing this uh, equivalence between mm -hmm. themselves or, or, or a comparison between themselves and U.S. authorities uh, for their treatment of, uh, of people in, in Guantanamo. And when you hear that, you're in that position, you're handcuffed, you're blindfolded, and yeah. he says Guantanamo to you, that immediately has to raise the prospects of th this is not going to be wrapped up quickly here, is it? Because they are referencing things that have deep global implications when they're talking about Guantanamo. Certainly, and I, I think that, um, you know, as the time wore on in my imprisonment and the more I see how other governments are dealing with um, what they consider uh, threats to their national security, I believe that we have to do a much better job of, uh, of guaranteeing due process mm -hmm. And um, and clarifying for the American people, but also for the international community. When we're accusing somebody of something, what are we accusing them of and based on what? Mm -hmm. Because uh, some of these things, unfortunately, green light that sort of behavior mm -hmm. in some of the worst corners of the world. I would read you in the Washington Post before you. you were arrested. And what always struck me about your work is, is that you were presenting to readers in Iran that I knew of my youth, when, right. I, when Iran was open to the United States and really was one of the most westernized areas of the Middle East. Uh, you talk about food, yep. you talk about culture, you talk about these people's lives, where really since 1979, the only reporting you mostly got of Iran was pretty much whatever went in the higher echelons of the government, you made it a, a living, breathing place again for a lot of people. I appreciate you saying that, Tom. For me, that was the thing that was missing in our coverage and our debate, our conversation about Iran for the previous, well, starting next week, it'll be for the last 40 years. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, February 11th will mark 40 years of the Islamic Republic. And I think that 
the prevailing attitude and narrative of Iran was, as you said, it was about what was going on in the government, what that government was saying about the United States of America. Um, it started with the hostage crisis mm -hmm. um, and continued with the, the weekly ritual of burning uh, U.S. flags in the streets of Tehran and uh, chanting death to America. Well, that stuff exists, and mm -hmm. it still exists. But there's a whole nation of people who are ancient uh, in their culture and traditions, mm -hmm. at the same time very worldly and modern in their education and their desire to connect with the rest of the world. So, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to, 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 to show these two contrasting uh, features of that country uh, to an American readership that I think had been, uh, you know, they, they hadn't had the opportunity to see into Iran for many years and had basically come to the assumption that there was no way of understanding this country mm. beyond the politics. And I wanted to say, no, there is. And here's, have a look. You went through what any person would describe as a, a traumatic experience uh, through all of this. Um, how difficult was that to put down on paper and literally relive it again in, in order to, to write Prisoner? Well, it was, um, it felt like I had to do it for myself um, and also for the, uh, the people that have been reading me for all of these years. Um, this is an experience that's an extension, an unfortunate extension of my many years of working there. And so what I wanted to do in writing the book was give you a window into one more aspect of the Iranian experience. Um, it was hard, especially in writing the most difficult moments. When I wrote about the arrest, when I wrote about solitary confinement, when I wrote about the feelings of, uh, of fear and, um, and guilt about my wife, being thrust into this situation. Mm -hmm. And when I wrote about the, uh, the final hours uh, and the fact that, that I almost didn't get out with my wife, mm -hmm. uh, when I would sit down and write these uh, parts of the book, and we're talking about um, days and weeks, mm -hmm. I'd have uh, nightmares, yeah. you know? Uh, and most of the book was written in 2017 and, and 18. Um, by the end of 2016, I had, uh, you know, the, the nightmares had dissipated quite a lot. But I still was that, have... Was that a process of, of writing? I, I have friends who are Vietnam veterans, and one of the things that they are told quite frequently in therapy is to write things down. Yeah. That the physical process of either typing it out or, or putting, putting it to paper, paper yeah. is, is a way to literally get it out of you. I think that in, in, in this case, people have asked me if it was cathartic to write this book. No, it's not cathartic. But what I've had the opportunity to do is take these horrible things that happened to me and turn them into a, a, a story, into a narrative mm -hmm. that I'm in control of. Um, and, you know, those nightmares that I would have, they were very consistent. It's just a recurring dream of I almost got out of prison and I didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, they still come. And they'll probably come from time to time for the rest of my life. But with this book out now, uh, I have a document that, that I can point to and say, you know, you want to know about my experience? Here it is. Obviously, any reporter working on a story usually takes notes and is able to kind of put things down to paper. I'm, I'm guessing the uh, 
Iranian government didn't provide you a lot of reporter notebooks while yeah. you were there. So how, how did you how did you catalog all this when when you write when you sit down to write prisoner? Yeah, is it all from memory? Most of it. Yeah. And um, you know, one thing that that I was able to do, my wife was able to bring me some books. Mm-hmm. Um, and that made a huge difference. And I, I stole some pens from my interrogators. Uh, so I always had, <laughs> I always had something around. Reporters, and, a reporter's always going to figure out how to get a pen. And as time went on, um, you know, they were less fanatical about searching my, my cell. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it was just, I was a hostage at this point. They mm-hmm. weren't worried about me. And what I would do, you know, in, Farsi is a language that's r- read from right to left rather yes. than left yeah. to right. So I'd take the, a book and I'd look for a chapter like this one mm-hmm. that ends with a little bit of space on the side. Oh, so here. there's a blank page. Th- so I'd write my notes in there knowing that if they were going to pick up the book, they'd th- thumb through it from this way. From the beginning. Rather than yeah, from this from way. From the back. From the back. Um, so that was a, a, a little trick I came up with. Uh, but mostly... It was from memory, and it started literally the night that I was released. Mm-hmm. When I got to the American uh, military hospital in Germany, um, I just I just started talking into a microphone and jotting down notes. Let's talk about the end game. Yeah. So, towards the end of the the 500 days, d- do you know at that point? how aware people in the United States are of your situation? Or do you know anything that's going on back here? I'm, I'm down at the Washington Post. I'm seeing your name scrolling on the old Post building on right. 15th Street every yep. day. People are talking about you. Fox 5 is doing stories about you. Do you know any of us? Very little. I mean, I, you know, my wife and my mother, who had m- my mom's from Illinois, and mm-hmm. she relocated herself uh, to Tehran to, to advocate for me. And she and my wife would tell me, you know, there was a front page story in the Post or the New York Times did this or Anthony Bourdain, uh, mm-hmm. who was a huge advocate of ours, released another statement. Uh, but, you know, I couldn't see it and I couldn't grasp it. And, mm-hmm. and I, they couldn't even see how much was going on. Can we talk about Bourdain for a minute? Yeah, sure. Um, their book is uh, published uh, by HarperCollins, but it is an imprint of uh, the Anthony Bourdain uh, book print. Um, how did you what is your relationship with uh, Anthony Bourdain and obviously so many people are affected by by his death and you know he he kind of did that thing I was talking about with you is that he he made places come alive that you wouldn't necessarily ever get to travel to yourself and you feel like you knew the place even if you'd never been there in that sense I think we were real kindred spirits yeah and um, I had been communicating with his production company for years about coming to Iran uh-huh. um, before they did for about seven years actually uh, and when they did finally come um, it was just a day or two before they arrived that I got an email from one of the producers uh, saying we're coming to Iran and we hear you're the guy to talk to about you know where to have a good meal right. and, um, <laughs> would you be able to give us some information and I, you know I've fed them all sorts of information and finally on the last day of their shoot, they called up and they said, would you and your wife be interested in, in, in filming a segment with us? Mm-hmm. So of course we would. You know, it would be an honor. So we did it, and it was um, a real fortuitous thing that happened for us because, you know, when the show aired four months into my imprisonment, mm-hmm. this was the first piece of, of uh, footage or, or, or film of my wife and I 
talking about this country in really glowing tones about our life with the most beloved television <laughs> personality of, of a generation. And, you know, he, even before that aired, just in the, in the days following our arrest, he came out very vociferously saying, mm -hmm. these people didn't do anything wrong, they're wonderful people, and they should be free. And that, you know, that chorus that he started built, 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 and when we were finally released, you know, the first thing that people say when they, if they recognize me, mm -hmm. uh, is that we first learned about you from watching you on Anthony Bourdain. And some of those people will come back and, and say, uh, it was because you were on that show that you got arrested, right? And I, and I always say, no, 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 it had nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. And if anything, it, that did more than anything to, to raise awareness about our plight. Mm -hmm. um, so it was very important for me early on to connect with him after our release. And when we did, I told him this, that, hey, Tony, you know, it had nothing to do with that. And thank you for, for your, you know, your, your advocacy. We didn't realize we had this friend, and mm. he became a great friend to us. Did he feel that way? Did he feel somewhat connected or responsible in any way for your arrest? I, I think he understood that that wasn't true, but the burden of hearing that over and over again mm -hmm. um, bothered him. Yeah. And I think it, it meant a lot to him uh, for my wife and I to say, Tony, it had nothing to do with you. And quite the opposite, you did us such a solid by, you know, continuing to pound the drum of, of our freedom. Mm -hmm. And um, we were able to, to see him uh, several times after the release, and he became a really essential uh, friend to us and a great person. I met him once, Jersey guy. So yeah. um, He um, was everything that people say. I, I, you know? I really had a, a deep affection for his work. Uh, not only um, as somebody who, you know, brought, um, you know, kind of light to dark places yep. of this world, uh, but also just his general zeitgeist about how he kind of showed us all our similarities rather than highlight our differences. And I, I thought it was, that a, was an the amazing thing. body of work. And that's what made his, his death so tragic to so many people. It still is. And, you know, what you just said was what drew me to him mm -hmm. uh, and his work. And it was what I aspired to do in this mm -hmm. country that we thought that that wasn't possible with. So in the book, you relate the moment when you find out that you're getting out. Yeah. But you'd been told that before. Yeah. And it didn't happen. So what what is the moment and what do they tell you? And I don't want to give too much away from yeah, the book sure. here. But, but are, are, when you hear that, are you saying, hey, you know, I've been down this road before. I'm not getting my hoats up. Or, yeah. Or what? I mean, I've been told so many different things. I've been told that I would be released within a matter of days. I've been told I would be executed within a matter of hours. I've been told that I would spend the rest of my life in that prison. Um, but in early January of 2016, they came to me and said, you're being uh, released in a part of a prisoner swap. And um, and I, I, it made sense because the mm -hmm. nuclear deal with Iran uh, and, and the world powers was about to be implemented. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was a great assumption that, that I would be released when that deal was signed back in July of 2015. That didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So it seemed um, rational and probable that if I was going to get out, it would be in January of 2016. But still, I had so many doubts. And, you know, I, I at that point, I had a relationship with my, my captors. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say a friendly one, 
but you know, you there spent was two a years with somebody. You're going to get to know. You get to know them. Yeah. And so I said, look, you guys have had your way with me. Uh, you're telling me this. I think it's a bunch of baloney. Mm-hmm. Prove it. Uh, and I, you know, I, I, I kind of forced their hand a little bit and said, you know, you got to let my, my wife come and see me every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got to let me talk to her on the phone every day. Um, how do I know this is true? And, you know, mm-hmm. it, 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 it was becoming more and more obvious that, okay, yeah, this is really happening. Uh, when you're finally out then, I mean, uh, just watching you at the post mm. when you returned, mm. It was almost like watching somebody come back from the moon. Did it did it feel Yeah. I mean, look, when you're in that kind of isolation for that long, a year and a half in which, you know, I was able to see my wife and I was able to see my mother, but for tiny spurts. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a lot of people around. I yeah. I was in solitary confinement and then I was in a cell with one other person. Um and the only other people I dealt with were my guards. So things like you know, artificial lighting, <laughs> big crowds, yeah. uh, cameras and microphones it was very bizarre for me. But I, I from that first moment of freedom, I thought to myself, you know, it's going to take a long time to readjust, but I will readjust. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just need to to put my foot back in the water little by little. I thought you had one of the best uh, uh, viral uh, book selling lines I've heard lately about Rita <laughs> all about how I lost 40 pounds. <laughs> Look, I mean, you have to joke about these things. And I've, I feel like, you know, coming back home, yeah. uh, I lost a lot of weight while I was in prison. Uh, you know, in America, we uh, we struggle with our weight collectively. Right. It's something not a lot of people want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to talk about my challenges with it. Uh, and I figured, you know, maybe that's that's a way for people to to, to relate to this book a little well, bit. We get the bookstores to put it in both sections. Yeah, yeah exactly. Put it well in that, the self-help, <laughs> the weight loss, uh, you know, lots of other places. A little bit of comedy, you know. Uh, you know, it's, it's a great, great book. And I don't say that lightly because um, in my house, it's a fist fight to get through books because there's so much going on in the house. Yeah. And um, this was, you know, literally, it sounds like a cliche, but it's such a page turner. Thank you. And rarely... What's important about it is we don't get to hear the stories about a lot of the people who are in the situation you were in. And we certainly, tragically, didn't get to hear Jamal Khashoggi's story. So the fact that you are here with us, Thank you. you are safe, Thank and you. you came out the other end, and you were able to produce just this incredible work um, is valued to everybody. And we, we, I can't say enough about it, and people should run out and buy this book. I want to say one last thing, and I appreciate all of that, Tom. You can see I'm wearing a free Austin Tice button. Yeah. Austin is a contributor to The Post and many other news organizations who's been missing uh, since 2012 in Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know when uh, folks will hear this. They're uh, going to hear it tomorrow. They're going to hear it on Monday. So, yeah. you, you you know, after the Super Bowl, yeah. uh, you know, at, right before the, the two-minute warning, actually, you'll see a, an ad today that the Post is putting out. Yeah, let's talk about that, because yeah, Tom Hanks it. in it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we don't want to, uh, we want people to experience it when they see it. But on this planet, you know, we have a president right now that talks about fake news and yeah. calls journalists enemies of the state. Um, I attended an event not that long ago with the Committee for Freedom for Journalists mm-hmm. where the CEO of Rappler in the Philippines was mm-hmm. there who won an award that night. We've heard from journalists in Venezuela yep. who were targeted by the Maduro government down there. Around this planet, journalists are being targeted for doing 
their jobs. This is not just a situation in the United States, but is there a higher responsibility on us in the United States because we set an example for the rest of the There world? is, uh, most certainly. And I think that, um, you know, our First Amendment is one of our most important uh, rights. Uh, you know, it's a privilege and one that uh, if we don't protect, could be taken from us. It's happening in other countries. Uh, it's uh, it's suffering here right now. Um, and in, in the president of the United States has traditionally been the person who should uphold that ideal more than anybody else in the world. And so I'm really proud uh, to be a part of a news organization mm -hmm. uh, that's willing to stand up for for that uh, that tradition and that ideal in such public ways. Do you think that when he says these things, enemy of the people or calling journalists names, that he understands that it goes beyond our borders, that this really does become a dog whistle for despots and dictators around the world? I don't know if he understands or not, but, and I think that's irrelevant, right? I mean, he, uh, he, should, he should know better. People should uh, be in his ear telling him, don't do that. Um, but unfortunately, I don't see that happening. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we saw uh, a surge in the number of, of journalists murdered uh, in the last couple of years, especially last year, and especially uh, in countries that, that we consider democracies, mm -hmm. right? I mean, India is the biggest democracy. There are more newspaper readers in, in India than there are citizens of the United States. Well, right where we're sitting right now, you don't have to go too far over Annapolis. to the city in Annapolis. You know, like, is that? And, and, and in the heart of the European Union. And this mm -hmm. is something that... Uh, is not disconnected. The, you know, th this trend is a, is an international problem, and one that we need to work much harder uh, to root out. People should have access to information freely, and the people bringing you the news uh, shouldn't feel as though their lives are being threatened. Uh, again, we want to remind people the hashtag is free. Austin Tice, um, look for that on Twitter. Um, Super Bowl Sunday, the post will uh, 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 air this out. You're in it. I haven't seen it. Um, I hear you're in it. Well, that's cool. <laughs> you're in a Tom Hanks production. Um, all right. And the book is Prisoner. Uh, Jason Rezaian, he is the uh, former bureau chief in Tehran for the Washington Post. He continues to write for the Washington Post. He's also a contributor to CNN, and he was kind enough to join us here on the On the Hill podcast to uh, talk to us about this book. Jason, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Tom. Have all a great day. All right. And that'll do it for this time. We'll talk to you next time on the Hill. Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7.99 y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters excluyendo los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com.